The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous supporters. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash donate. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, episode number 15. Captain DeBridge. Spock here. Make it so. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Don Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all of the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing our overview of Star Trek, the animated series that, yes, that short lived, very brief uh, TV series that followed after the original series. And joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Great. So before we get into talking about Star Trek, just a quick little uh, bit. I want to tell you folks about a little announcement about uh, a new show that we've been uh, doing a few weeks now called uh, Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World. And uh, uh, as the title suggests, uh, the host of that is our own uh, Jimmy Aiken. Uh, Jimmy, you want to tell us a little bit about what uh, Mysterious World is about? Yeah. um, Basically, it's a a podcast that focuses on the different mysteries in the world. It covers natural mysteries. It covers supernatural mysteries. If you um, think about... Uh, the old show from the 1970s with Leonard Nimoy in search of, uh, it's kind of like that. It's also kind of like the old show with Robert Stack, Unsolved Mysteries. It focuses more, though, on it will do some true crime, which is more what Unsolved Mysteries was about. But it'll, it, this one focuses more on other types of mysteries. They may be scientific. They may be paranormal. Um, we're going to cover historical mysteries, ancient civilizations, all kinds of interesting stuff because uh, God is infinite. His mystery is infinite and creation uh, reflects a good bit of God's mystery. Uh, one of the things that's different about this show than other shows out there is, you know, a lot of the podcasts that focus on mysterious things tend to take one of two approaches. Either they're done by people who are totally into these uh, mysterious ideas and are very accepting of them and don't necessarily apply a lot of critical thinking, or they go to the other extreme and they're done by skeptics who just want to debunk everything. And neither one of those is the approach that we're taking. Uh, You're also on the show, Dom. I am. And uh, what we're trying to do is take an open-minded, but nevertheless, uh, an open-minded approach to these things, but nevertheless, apply critical thinking skills. And we look at them, we look at the different mysteries, both from the perspective of faith and the perspective of reason. And uh, in August, for example, on the show, we looked at uh, ghosts and transhumanism, which is uh, kind of a, an effort to introduce, to replace humanity with the Borg, believe it or not, <laughs> something like that. Uh, also, uh, we look at, at uh, Bigfoot and Area 51. So I hope folks will check those out. 
I think uh, listeners to this show would particularly enjoy that show. So, uh, yeah, I encourage you to go check it out. Go to sqpn.com slash mysterious to see all the uh, episodes we produce so far. You can uh, there are links there on each episode to subscribe uh, using iTunes or Google Play Podcasts or the various other ways. So uh, just uh, give give it a shot. Give it a try. Download one. Take a listen. I think you'll enjoy it. All right. So back to uh, our topic today, um, where where just to kind of uh, give people that that refresher overview, where go we're restarting Secrets of uh, Star Trek. We started that uh, a couple weeks ago, and we talked about first we talked about us just as being Trek fans, how we became Trek fans. Uh, last time we talked about the original series, Star Trek, the original series. And now we're talking about uh, the next series uh, chronologically, which was Star Trek, the animated series. Now this was, this was a very short series that uh, broadcast between September, 1973 and October, 1974, and was just Mm -hmm. 22 total episodes. So not a lot. um, About the length of a TV season put together. Right. right. Um, and then it re- had reruns on NBC uh, going out to about 1975. And I, I got to say, I must have been I I have vague memories of this series. Mm-hmm. Like I was very young at the time. So I must have caught some of them at some point in that run to 1975. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, you know, I had to be I was you know, seven or younger when this ended. Mm-hmm. So uh I, I remember it. I'm a couple of years older than you. I remember it uh, much more clearly. I remember the night before the very first episode aired. I think I told this story once before. They had a special on NBC uh, introducing their new Saturday morning lineup back when Saturday morning was a thing for kids. Oh, it's, yeah. It's not anymore. But um, they had uh, Leonard Nimoy come in and do a guest role uh they had a, an imaginary meeting going on in their preview of the new lineup of uh, television executives that were all played by children. And Leonard Nimoy was the only adult present. And he played an executive named Mr. Wister, whose sister had a blister. And everyone was asking <laughs> about that. And then they showed the first episode, Beyond the Farthest Star. And it was awesome. And Star Trek was finally back on the air after all these years of being off the air. And it was great. Yeah, this, well, it definitely it predates me by a couple of years. Literally, I was born in 76. So it was off the air by the time I was born. Yeah. Uh, I, I do recall running into it once in a while. You know, I, I know it went into syndication years later, you know, and would show up once in a while. So I do recall catching an episode or two once, but it is kind of the forgotten series in many ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and for a while, uh, Gene Roddenberry apparently downplayed it and didn't want to consider it yeah. canon, but it's gradually worked its way back into the canon. And these days, you know, Star Trek.com lists it, lists it as canon and a lot of references yeah. to it have been incorporated into other Star Trek shows. Right. So it's yeah. de facto canon again. Yeah. yeah according to. According to Wikipedia, that it it you know went through a phase there where Gene Roddenberry had a person whose job it was to kind of handle canon for Star Trek, and he either by Gene Roddenberry's own instructions or because this guy had the power of the keys, so to speak, he uh, just basically said, "No, we're we're ignoring that." Though it would still show up. I mean, they'd yeah. still show up in books and things like that for a while. Yeah, it, it's interesting that. Um you know, where this, this, this series came from is, as we all know, famously, when NBC canceled Star Trek in 1969, one of the, 
it's one of the dumbest of all uh, executive mm-hmm. decisions in history, along with New Coke and other things like that. Uh, uh, a little known fact, I knew the guy who recommended New Coke to, to replace the old formula. Uh, really? Yeah, I, I worked for him briefly. Um, mm. Very interesting. He, he's a deacon, actually, a Catholic deacon. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, that's funny. Uh, not, not he would he would tell that as a as I like, guess something he was proud of, and I'm not sure why. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so it was sort of the the uh, new Coke moment of uh, was of Star Trek when they canceled it, and of course it was this huge fan outcry, and we're what well, you know we want Star Trek back, and so. Um, and almost immediately, there was talk of uh, movies and other things like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, NBC was kind of flailing around for what to do. And they came up with this idea, which was we could do it on the cheap because the, yep. the filmation animation, what is what we have here, um, they were doing this this sort of animation pretty inexpensively. And you can kind of you can kind of tell at times. You tell. Yeah. They reuse a lot of shots, but then the original series reused yeah. a lot of shots too yeah. of yeah. you know the Enterprise right. orbiting planets and stuff. Unfortunately, you could tell that uh, on a lot of the cells because the way it works, they have like uh, uh, pla- essentially plastic sheets. Let's just think of it yep. simplified plastic sheets, and they would move them back and forth across like the background and that sort of stuff. And you could see where they didn't clean the sheet in between. It's got like exactly dust particles and stuff, and the uh, just happens to be a couple of stars that are moving right in front of the Enterprise <laughs> as it's sliding across yes, the screen. Exactly, <laughs> it's not dust; it's the stars. Oh, okay. And uh, you know, but what, what's yeah. funny is that that's that's a twenty first century problem. To see that because, you yeah. know, on the old TVs, you would never even oh, have a yeah. clue it was there. But now we've got, you know, 1080p, 4K TVs that you see every little pixel and you <laughs> exactly. see that little speck of dust go sliding across the screen. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to guess they're not going to remaster uh, the animated series in, in uh, you know, 4K. Oh, I would be surprised well, if they do, actually, because yeah. I think there is kind of more awareness of it now. If they redid the animation, that would be interesting. But uh, mm-hmm. I don't think they'll remaster the original animation, put it that way. Yeah. But so what? The, so one of the things they did, uh, did, so they're trying to do this inexpensively. Um, and so in order to do that, they brought back the entire cast except Chekhov. Chekhov. Right. Walter <laughs> like, Koenig didn't, didn't make it back. Actually, originally it was going to be less of the cast than yeah. what we actually got. Um, they, they knew they wanted uh, – Bill Shatner and Leonard Nimoy and DeForest Kelly, because you got to have Kirk, Spock and McCoy. Right. Um, They they then also were going to have Majel Barrett, Gene Roddenberry's wife, Mm -hmm. uh, who would do a number of voices. And James Doohan also was a very gifted uh, voice actor. He could do a lot of different voices. In fact, people may know the Scottish accent he uses as Scotty is not his accent. No, he's Canadian. Yeah, he. (laughs) He came in and demoed a bunch of different accents for Scotty, and they picked the Scotsman accent, and that drove the character. Um, but he he could always do a lot of different voices. They were going to use him for a lot of things. And so even though the characters of Uhura and Sulu were going to appear on the show, they weren't going to be voiced by, mm-hmm. uh, by uh, Nichelle Nichols and George Takei. Presumably, they would have been voiced by James Doohan and Majel Barrett. But... Leonard Nimoy intervened and he mm-hmm. said, because he said, well, where's, where's, where are Nichelle and, and George? And they said, well, well, we don't have them. And he said, well, if you don't have them, you don't have me. And right. he, he was willing to leave the series unless they brought him back. So they, they got 
both of those actors. They also ended up doing a lot of voices on the show. Yeah. Nearly every every alien and guest character was either James Doohan, Nichelle Nichols, or Majel Barrett. They those three people did almost all of them. Or George Takei. With a couple notable exceptions, Sarek Mm -hmm. was voiced by Mark uh, Leonard. Leonard. Mark Leonard. Sereno Jones was voiced by his actor. Mud was voiced by his actor. So there were a couple of actual repeat guests from the series, but then there were a couple that it was obvious they were um, the same actors. Yeah. 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 Like, uh, and that's typical for cartoons. Yes, it is. And, you know, because it was aimed at kids, I think they weren't too worried about, uh, about that coming across wrong, that sort of thing. Um, yeah. By the way, even even though um, for and I don't know why they didn't include Walter Koenig as Chekhov, but um, even though he didn't make it on screen, uh, he did write. He did have some participation in this series. He wrote an episode called The Infinite Vulcan, which got produced. And so he was a writer for the series. Yeah. Mm. And the, the, the interesting thing about the series that sort of sets it apart from the original series was because it was animated, they could do a lot of things in animation yeah. that you just you either didn't have the technology for or the budget for in live action. And so right. they had notably they added a couple crew members. So a new navigator named um, Eric, who had three arms, including one coming out of the middle of his chest and, and three legs. And, and he three, was orange. Yes. Yep. Uh, and then Mares, which was a, a feline. Communica- sp- yeah. Yeah. She was a communications officer who would sometimes sub for Uhura. Yeah. And she was, as you say, feline. So she had kind of a mane and cat ears and was covered in fur and had a purring effect in her voice and stuff. And then they could do a uh, big, you know, different kinds of starships and space battles. And uh, like in the in the first episode called Beyond the Farthest Star, uh, they kind of take advantage advantage of that where they encounter this um, alien spaceship that is truly massive, like it just yeah. mm-hmm. dwarfs the Enterprise. And it's, it's, it's a space station more than a spaceship. I mean, right, right. Yeah, and, it's it it's it's so it's it's so huge, but it's also not a single compact body like right. every other spaceship we see. Instead, it's made of these kind of organic pods that are connected mm-hmm. by filaments and it looks very different and it would have been very hard to achieve anything like this in a yeah. model form. Could, I was going to say, can you imagine trying to wire up that model so that they could shoot around it? <laughs> yeah. You know, because of course right. the models, tiny, they would hang little, them. Yeah. With this tiny little enterprise going around it. Right. Exactly. Right. And that's the, that was the nice thing with this. Um, and, and there are some, the, the, Behind the scenes, there were some notable people, too. I mean, they didn't really they didn't skimp out on the quality of the storytelling. I mean, because mm-hmm. they they continued to have people like Larry Niven, DC Fontana, mm-hmm. David Gerald, all continued to write episodes. Yes. Uh, DC Fontana, I think she was behind the the she did the um, she was originally a script. Right? Yeah, she did yesteryear in the animated series. She yeah. was uh, a, a script editor on the um, on the original series, and so she right. had a lot of experience doing Star Trek mm-hmm. scripts. David Gerald is the author of the famous Tribbles, uh, the Trouble with Tribbles episode. Yes, and here we get a sequel to that called More Tribbles, More Troubles. Right. Um, one of the things I was surprised at in 
I mean, I, 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 I already knew this, but I was surprised yesterday. I was just doing kind of a, a count or survey, and there's just a huge number of follow-ups in uh, to the original series in this, where mm. we revisit things and people we've already seen. We've already mentioned like Sarak and Mu yeah. uh, Harry Mudd and Cyrano Jones. Each one of them comes back. Uh, but then there are other things. They go back to the Shoreleaf planet in one episode. Um, there's There are even minor references. If you look at the very last, uh, well, actually, it's not the very last, but it, there's an episode where they go back to the Beta Niobe system. And mm. actually, it is the last episode. It's the, right. called the, count, the Counterclock Incident. Um, and it features the first captain of the Enterprise, uh, Commodore Robert April. And in that, they go to the Beta Niobe system, which was... In the original series episode, All Our Yesterdays, and in that episode, they they go to the library, which lets you visit the past of this planet. Mm -hmm. And then this, at the end of the episode, the sun goes nova and they have to get out of there. Well, now they're back in the same system. And that's right. It's now it's now a, a nebula because it's gone nova. And mm -hmm. they they mention you were here when this went Nova, weren't you? And yeah, we were. And it's just a little <laughs> tie-in on the verbal level. They didn't have to do that, mm -hmm. but and and it wouldn't have affected the story because the library's gone now. So this plot right. has nothing to do with that. But they're still trying to tie in stuff for the fans uh, from the original series, and that's clearly aimed at adults because kids would mm -hmm. not remember Beta Niobe. That's, right, right. You know, that's something that's clearly for the adults that they're expecting to be in the audience. Now, now, correct me if I'm wrong, but the original series is where Robert April first is mentioned as the actually, original captain. Actually, no, he's mentioned in some of the uh, some of the preparatory materials. We have um, Captain Pike in the right. original series, April's before Pike, and he's mentioned in um, some of the background materials okay. that. Roddenberry was developing for the show and that had been published in a book called The World of Star Trek or uh, The Making right. of Star Trek. And but if you want, I mean, if you want to say, you know, what's on screen is canon, that's yeah. the first time he's mentioned Correct. on screen. Right. That's yeah. part of that whole uh, like it, the, the, the animated series becoming canon uh, was this is one of those elements like Robert April is later mentioned in mm -hmm. various uh, shows. Uh, as a prior captain of the Enterprise, and that's, yeah, I, I think like in plaques and in like um, yeah. screens mm -hmm. uh, shots and that sort of thing. Okuda and of Grams, course, they called him. And of course, now with Discovery second season coming out, yeah, he's going to mm -hmm. play a role. Was it no uh, Pike is Pike. Pike? I'm sorry, yeah, Pike, that's right. yeah, Pike is captain. But then I'm thing, sorry, I forgot it was Pike. Yeah, yeah, but things My like um, the, the Spock's home uh, town on Vulcan yeah. is. Uh, sh Shakar, which is not the same as the guy from uh, the Prime Minister <laughs> of uh, Jakar Narn yes. on Babylon Five. No, no, I was thinking of Shakar oh, on was Deep uh, Space Nine. Yeah, Kira's uh, old boyfriend on Deep Space Nine. Yeah. But uh, no, this is a town. Well, I mean, it's a it's a big galaxy. You're going to have repeating uh, phonemes yeah, all yeah. over the place. Um, anyway, but uh, which that was the. One animated episode I did remember from when I was a kid was uh, Yesteryear, which featured mm -hmm. um, 
the Guardian of Forever, which was the mm-hmm. the, the famous one from uh, the the City on the Edge of Forever, City on the Edge of Forever, and where Spock uh, gets erased from time and has to go back and put himself back in time. Um, and I, I do I did remember that as a kid, and it was very as a kid very thrilling. I mean, it was very. Uh, yeah, you get, to, you get to see Vulcan. This was until Star Trek Enterprise, the series. This was our first and only visit to Vulcan. Nope. A mock time. Uh, oh, you're right. You're yeah. right. Well, OK. <laughs> Got to see more Got of Vulcan. Got me there. Got yeah. to see a lot more of Vulcan. Yes, you did. Um, And it was our first and only return to Vulcan. Right. Uh, <laughs> right. Put it that way. And it and it also revisits Spock's childhood. So we get to see mm-hmm. Spock as a child. We get to see key events growing up. We learn more about Vulcan culture, and it's and it's really cool. This was an episode we as we mentioned by DC Fontana, and it was so influential that even when the series as a whole was being treated as non-canon, authors of TV shows would still go back and reference things in this episode. Right. Uh, right. Because it was just so good and so influential, and it's really, uh, it's really profoundly moving. Basically, um, not only do we have a conflict going on on the plot level with the adult Spock, who's been erased from history and needs to get back into history, um, but we have uh, him visiting his younger self when he's like six or seven years old. He's got to make a choice that's going to govern his. The rest of his life. Is he going to follow the Vulcan way or not? Because Mm -hmm. he has that option of going the human way. And he's going through a Vulcan rite of passage test. And we get to meet um, his his pet Salot. You may remember from the episode that originally introduced Spock's parents, Journey to Babel, Mm -hmm. um, which was also by DC Fontana. She uh, had a line where Spock's mother, Amanda, was talking to Dr. McCoy about uh, Spock's pet teddy bear on Vulcan. And Spock explained that on Vulcan, teddy bears are huge and have six inch long fangs. <laughs> and uh, and so we get to meet that creature. He had a he had a Salat, uh, kind of a bear like creature named Aichaya. And one of the things that happens in this episode that is very moving is at the end of the episode, because of the decisions that the young Spock has made um, in kind of going off on his own for this uh, rite of passage test, Aichaya defended him against a venomous kind of Vulcan dragon creature and ended up getting a fatal dose of the poison. And they get a doctor in there to try to heal Aichaya. And he says, I can't do it. But what I can do is put your pet to sleep. And mm-hmm. this is like something that almost every kid has had to face at one oh, time yeah. or another. Mm-hmm. Do you put the animal out of its suffering or not? And Spock makes the choice on children's television to have his pet euthanized. And it's a very uh, it's a very affecting and, and moving moment. Well, not just you get that, but you also get the adult Spock when the there. child is off. Well, as the child is off getting the, the healer, the adult Spock, you can tell the affection that he still has for right. his pet. You yeah. know, I'm sorry, my friend, you were not supposed to be involved in this, you know, and you can see the see the emotion there. Yeah. And that's what's and so he, interesting just in the, the few episodes. And unfortunately, I don't think either Dom or I got through the entire series, but we got to, we watched quite a, a few good selection from Jimmy. And we'll talk about that. Probably oh, we will in, in the future, by the way. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, we will. But 
for an animated series for, you know, a, a 20 minute roughly episode series, there's a lot of depth to this from the episodes mm-hmm. that we watched. This wasn't, yeah. you know, you know, of course, film, you mentioned filmation. I grew up watching He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, you know, You're another right. filmation program. There's not a lot of depth there. No. This did. Yeah. Yeah, they were really consciously trying to make this as as a, a legitimate sequel to Star Trek at the time. They 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 said the the writers said, you know, we want to make this. We want these scripts to be of the quality that they would have worked if we did them in the live action series. Mm-hmm. You know, we want them on that level. And it's interesting that they're able to do so much with just 20 minutes. One of the reasons that they're able to do so much with just 20 minutes is because this is for this is for Saturday morning television and so we don't have Kirk hopping into bed with every alien woman he meets <laughs> so there are just like no none of the Kirk romances and that lets them focus on the main plot that that saves like 20 minutes every episode <laughs> yeah yeah that's exactly it well and it's not just star trek fans who think that this is a very a quality tv series I mean, this this actually won an Emmy for best children's yeah. series in seventy four seventy five. I mean, that, it was the first first Star Trek series to win an Emmy, <laughs> which is you know <laughs> kind of remarkable given exactly. you know given everything. And it it's I I, I it's my belief that it were it not for the animated series, we may not have got, gotten the movies. I feel like the animated mm-hmm. series kind of kept that kept things going. It kept the engine of Star Trek running a bit. You know, in 1975, and from there, uh, you know, between that and the the success of Star Wars to making science fiction acceptable in in Hollywood, um, those two things, I feel like they they kept uh, it possible to really take Star Trek and well, bring it to the movies. You now, and that would mm-hmm. make sense because, of course, you know, this ended in '74. The original movie yep. came out in 79. That's only five years in movie time. That's not a long time at all. Right. Yeah. In, the, in the in the in the time span, like after this ended, uh, it wasn't very long after this where they really started actively, you know, uh, uh, Gene Roddenberry and others started actively working on getting a movie made. I mean, this was, right. uh, and, and you know, you, it, it you, took years. I mean, you could see them. You could almost see that as this series is going on, it's like, look here, you know, we've got this animated series and people are watching it. Right. We and, can go better. And syndication we, and the conventions, the fan exactly. cons and all that sort of stuff. Then Star Wars comes along and people go bonkers over Star Wars. And yep. then you get Battlestar Galactica and you get all this other sci-fi. And in, in, and so someone said at the time, and we can get Let's more get into this. franchise. Yeah. yeah. Let's well, Exactly. Let's, We'll we'll get more into this when we talk about Star Trek the motion picture, uh, I think. But uh, you know the history of how we got to the to the motion picture because there were a couple of false starts along the way. There was an mm-hmm. attempt to do a live action series instead of a movie. Uh, but but yeah, I mean, but the 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 thought here is without this animated series, we might not have had more Star Trek. To put it that way, right. and it kept yeah. the actors involved and and <laughs> engaged. It did, although they, because of the way cartoons are produced, or certainly were produced, it was a little different for them. Um, they, this is something Nimoy talked about afterwards. Is he was he, he 
you know, he was okay doing the cartoon series, but he didn't, he didn't have the same sense of onset camaraderie mm-hmm. because they weren't on set together. No. Um, they would go, he, he would be somewhere in America touring and go into a sound studio at maybe a record record company or a radio station or something, right. record his lines and they'd mail them in. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, there was a story I read where uh, William Shatner was actually touring with uh, uh, a play. And when the time would come for him to record, he'd go in whatever city it was, like you said, you know, whatever city it was and, and do it record. And you can hear that because I, I noticed that, you know, listening, watching, you know, three or four episodes back to back, his recording quality was different from episode to episode. Yeah, yeah. I I think I've heard he even like used a cassette recorder at times. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, actually, I think there was one episode. It sounded like he was talking to a good old fashioned, you know, dictaphone type cassette recorder. Yeah. Another another thing that this does um, that it, it, in a way it kind of completes the original series because from we know from the opening narration of the original series, the Enterprise is on a five year mission, and we only get to see three years of that you know, before the live action show is canceled. But if you look at the star dates that they give for these episodes, it's like this, these are late star dates that push somewhat past the original series. And Mm -hmm. so this is like filling out what happened in the final two years of the original five-year mission. Right. And that was their conscious intent at the time. One of the uh, funny quirks of the animated series is um, comes in the in something unique to animation, which is the color of the animation. Apparently, mm-hmm. the director, um, I, I think he's the director, uh, was colorblind. Yes, <laughs> and, uh, and, which is not what you want in an animation director. <laughs> and so, lots of things that he thought were light gray were being produced as pink. So yeah. we have pink mm. tribbles, uh, pink Klingon <laughs> uniforms, yeah. uh, pink ships. And, uh, I mean, it just, and, and, and so it was, it was, it, it kind of comes across. I mean, I think maybe someone at some point has t- tried to make them more purplish and as pink in some cases, but still those are, those are off. Yeah, there's um, th- I was going to mention there's a famous case of that. Uh, one of the best episodes of the, um, of uh, the animated series is called The Slaver Weapon. And it's an adaptation by Larry Niven of his short story, The Soft Weapon. And and it, that story originally is set in, his, in Niven's known space universe. Um, and he found a way to map. It's, it's actually great. If you know the original story, he's able to map the characters from the original story onto... Spock, Uhura, and Sulu mm-hmm. in a very straightforward way. You know, you have this pacifist vegetarian alien in the original series, that becomes Spock. You mm-hmm. have a human male who knows about weapons, that's Sulu. You have a human female, that's Uhura. And um, and mm-hmm. so we get this episode focusing just on them. I mean, Kirk is nowhere in this. It's just those three characters from the Enterprise encountering a group of cat-like aliens called the Kazinti, who are from Niven's known space universe. Well, you watch the episode, and even though the Kazinti look okay, they're in pink space suits, fly- <laughs> space suits flying a pink spaceship. Yeah. <laughs> and, yes. and this is because of the director's colorblindness. He thought all that was gray. <laughs> <laughs> 
You know, speaking of uh, Kirk not being here, but uh, Spock is, uh, Leonard Nimoy is the only uh, actor, the voice actor, who's in every single episode. That's what they said uh, I was reading about, uh, is that he's in every episode, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. Uh, something else that uh, you know, kind of talking about things that they could do. One of the things they did was they they were able to put the characters into um, uh, more dangerous atmospheres and weirder mm -hmm, places mm -hmm. in outer space, even by you know putting them in like these uh, force, force fields. Field out, yeah, the force field belts. Um, because in the original, when they wanted to put them into sp outer space into dangerous environments, they had to put them in these bulky spacesuits. And those, uh, I'm sure, were both expensive and difficult to shoot in. Um, and hot. And yeah, hot, yeah. right. And so, uh, but it, to do the, the the force belts or the, the the force field belts, they would have had to do that like an effect to show that they're wearing something around them. And that would have been complicated in the in special effects at the right. time. Right. In fact, the force field belts were originally proposed. I forget her name, but they were originally proposed by the author of the Tholian Web. Because her idea was to do a ghost story in space where you have originally it was going to be Mr. Spock, but he had been in danger in a recent episode. So they switched it to Kirk, where you have this officer fading in and out uh, in a ghostly fashion. And she was going to have him in a force field belt, but they were afraid about how that special effect would work. They were afraid, well, if we establish force field belts now, we're going to have to use them in the future. Mm -hmm. And and it's going to create plot complications for us in the future. So let's stick with a spacesuit, which she thought kind of diminished the whole ghostly haunting effect right. that you would have had without the spacesuit. And her name was Judy Burns. Judy. Yeah. So uh, a couple other technologies that uh, that were kind of pioneered here. Uh, did you have something you yeah. wanted to add, uh, Jimmy, first? Or? Well, I was going to mention another environment that they got to use here that they could never have done on the TV show is an underwater environment. Okay. Uh, yeah. There's an episode called The Ambergris Element where Kirk and Spock are on a water planet and a lot of the action occurs underwater with them as water breathers. And that's something you could never have done on the TV show. And they have an aqua shuttle, which was a lot mm -hmm. of fun, which we... I think we it, we did see an aqua shuttle later on, um, or at least shuttles going into water in the Kelvin timeline of Star Trek. Um, mm -hmm. Start was that? Be, well, we saw the beyond? Enterprise. It's we saw the Enterprise herself underwater. Right. That's right. That's right. So, uh, <laughs> so, so some of this stuff shows up later, and we also had the first holodeck. They had yes. a a recreation room in which you could create a holographic environment. Uh, you know. Uh, in it and and that was the first for the first time on the animated series so yeah was, they they had people running around in a woodland environment on this holodeck and they pinched the animation from for that woodland environment from lassie's rescue rangers <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that was, i know that was that was an idea for the original series that never came to fruition was to right. have this holodeck so it was it was something again it's another thing that was it was already thought of. It was already kind of a part of the the behind the scenes canon, but never actually got established until the original or the animated series. Right. right. So um, anything else you want to say about the animated series? Uh, the one thing I do want to mention is that you can watch it on either Netflix or Amazon. It's on both. Yep. So. Yeah. It's on Amazon Prime, in fact. So if you've got yeah. a Prime membership, you can watch it all for free. Right. right. And, you know, well, Jimmy, you, you had sent us a list of episodes. and You mentioned a couple of them. Why don't you go through that? Mm -hmm. 
list so people know, you know, for the ones that would be great to just to hit to see? Well, uh, so yesteryear is a really good one. It's um, the one about Spock's childhood. Also, um, I I really like more tribbles, more troubles, mm-hmm. which allows us, in addition to seeing, um, in addition to getting to see the tribbles again, we also get to see their natural predator. Uh, because, oh. you know, they establish in the show yeah. that that Tribbles have this explosive birth rate. So in their own environment, there must be something keeping them in check. And we get to see what that is. It's a Tribble predator called a glomer. And it kind of it's it's kind of a it, it looks kind of like a jellyfish, but it comes along and sits on the Tribble and eats it. <laughs> and uh and so that's cool um the premiere episode beyond the farthest star is really good we get to see the alien ship we mentioned the slaver weapon is really good uh that's the larry nevin story there's also an episode that i really like called uh uh the time trap which is kind of a bermuda triangle in space episode that's really nice um and then uh, also it's neat to see the counterclock incident with uh, Commodore Robert April, although I have to say the plot in that one is actually pretty goofy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then there were a lot of goofy episodes in the original series, too. Right, right. Yeah, the, the, uh, it's, it, it is remarkable, the, the quality of, of the storytelling. I mean, they, like you said, there's, there are a number of kind of goofy elements, but there, there's, a, there's quite a good few good stories here. Um, and in fact, in the novelizations, uh, some novel, uh, novelists have took up some of these stories and sort of expanded them. Like, for example, Yesteryear uh, became uh, an important element in a trilogy called The Crucible, uh, uh, a trilogy of books called The Crucible mm-hmm. about Spock, uh, just, you know, expanding on the Vulcan culture and that sort of stuff. So, uh, yeah, there's some good stuff here that's it's really mm-hmm. uh, worth worth your time, I think. By the way, we might want to mention that just like the original series had uh, tie-in books, adaptations of the original episodes written by James Blish, um, so did the uh, animated uh, series. There Only this time, the tie-in books were written by Alan Dean Foster. So they're novelizations of the episodes that we see on screen. And they're, um, they're very detailed and to the point where some of the uh, some of the later novels, they're called the Star Trek logs. And so it's like log one, log two, mm-hmm. log three, and so forth. Um, those, some of the later log books are actually just a single 20 minute episode that, uh, that Blish or that Foster has expanded out to novel length by adding in all kinds of new subplots and uh, additional story ideas. And they were extremely popular in fandom at the time. Uh, as early Star Trek novels. And I remember reading one of them uh, while I was on summer vacation as a kid and finding my first typo in a published book. Now that <laughs> now that's now I can't avoid typos as someone <laughs> in the publishing industry. I see them all the time. Yeah. Um, but I remember finding my first typo where Mr. Spock was referred to as Mr. Flock. <laughs> <laughs> So and you could get them online actually. You can find them uh like Amazon has them used. You can get one uh a used copy of Star Trek Log 1 for, you know, uh including shipping $5, you know. So mm-hmm. that's that's pretty good for these old 
books, especially old Star Trek books. So yeah. it's, uh, at some point we're going to talk about the the book, the tie-in media, the books and the, the comics and whatever. And you oh, know, yeah. some of this stuff's going to be hard to find, unfortunately. Yeah, uh, I'm still. I I have. I, I'm, I'll be honest. I still read like the new t- books that come out. Um, nice. Star Trek mm-hmm. books have been a long time thing for me. Um, all the way back to like Diane Duane, um, her books were uh, amazing, but that's a whole nother episode. of that will be another episode. <laughs> I'm just looking forward to talking about the records. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe the recordings of the uh, various authors, uh, the various actors. I mean, uh, uh, yeah, no, no. I mean the Star Trek story records where they tell a story on the record. Right, 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 right. Um, uh, Maybe we won't do the music of the... Uh... I don't know. We can talk about the legend of Bilbo Baggins. <laughs> <laughs> and Bill Shatner sings the Beatles. Uh, maybe not. <laughs> or highly illogical. <laughs> so um, I guess uh, we, should, we can wrap this up here. This is a guy yeah. we had a good, a good discussion on this. Uh, so, you know, to, to the listener, what do you think of uh, the, the Star Trek, the animated series? Did you know of it before we talked about it? Uh, had you ever seen it before? Uh what do you think? You know, let us know, and and we're going to be talking about the, these episodes in more detail in the future. Uh, so, uh, you know, you can even tell us which ones you you liked more than others, and that sort of thing. So, let us know by going to sqpn.com/trek or the SQPN Facebook page. Find this episode there and leave a comment underneath it. We have great uh, listeners who uh, you guys all you know, are, are always commenting on stuff, and we have uh, great discussions online, which we, we really enjoy. Um, you can also le- uh, send us some feedback via email to trek at sqpn.com. That uh, way we can read it on on the, you know, on the future podcast. If you record it as a voicemail or, or a, uh, a voice memo and mail that uh, audio file to us, we, you know, we'll play that uh, on, a, on a future podcast. Uh, so, uh, you know, we want to make this an interactive experience for, yeah. you know, between us and the audience. Um, and don't forget to like, comment, subscribe, and especially share this with other people so more people can learn about the podcast and it can do more good for more folks. Yes, please do. And uh, uh, if you ri- if you can go to iTunes and write a review and give us a five-star review, please, um, that activates the Apple algorithm that says, hey, people are, are paying attention to this and we should, you know, uh, show this to more people when they search for stuff related to Star Trek, because there's a lot of Star Trek podcasts out there, and we'd like to kind of get ours out there and let some folks know that we're here. Uh, so uh, that said, you can find links to our personal social media and websites on our show notes at sqpn.com, and we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing Star Trek The Next Generation. Uh, we'll be giving our overview of that. Uh, until then, Father Cory Stika, thank you for joining me in sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Yeah, glad to be here, and thanks, Dom. Uh, Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. My pleasure, Don. Once again, I'm Don Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to Secrets of Star Trek.